Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 141 when we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yes year of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.com and subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by turning in on your Futuro radio, spinning the Technodial, and listening through your audio visor. Mm-hmm. If you're a tech head, that is... Uh, this comic we're about to read was recommended by our pal and friend, Mark. And there's only two ways this can be said, so it's a 50-50 chance. Mark Mm -hmm. Jager. That's what I would have said. That's what we're going to go with. Uh, apologies, Mark, if we got it wrong. Yes. Uh, I think think, uh, he actually did tell me the, the proper pronunciation, and I did forget. So, but he did pick the comic, and what are we about to read, Chris? We are going to take a look at William Shatner's Tech World Number 1. This came to us with a September 1992 cover date, published through the epic imprint of Marvel Comics. The story is called Born Again, created by William Shatner, written by Ron Goulart, uh, art by Lee Sullivan, let is Pat Brousseau, uh, colors Evan Skolnick, edited by Fabian Niciesa, executively edited by Carl Potts, and chiefly edited by Tom DeFalco. And uh, this one came to us with a cover price of 1.75 USDs and 2.15 cans. Yeah, they, you gotta hate that 1.5 uh, mm-hmm. price point. Although, I don't know, maybe there is a 15 cent toonie up there, I have no idea. Anyway, uh, we're going to start off with the writer of this thing, Ron Goulart, born January 13th, 1933 in Berkeley, California, where he lived until the late 1960s. After graduating from the University of California at Berkeley, Ron got into advertising, which he says tightened up his writing. In the early 1960s, Goulart wrote the text for Checks Press, a newspaper parody published on Ralston Purina cereal boxes that would have been wheat checks, rice checks, corn checks, all those Good checks, as you guys know about. Uh, mm-hmm. Goulart's first professional publication was the story Letters to the Editor in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction in 1952, but that was originally published in UC Berkeley's humor magazine, Pelican. Now, Goulart wrote many short stories before the appearance of his first novel. That would be The Sword Swallower, uh, published by Doubleday in 1968. Uh, this was the first in his Chameleon series and our introduction to his Barnum universe, against which most of his space operas are set. Uh, in the 1970s, he wrote several novels based on Leaf Phantom. This was for Avon Books, and he used the pseudonym Frank Sean as a portmanteau of his wife and son's names. Uh, In the mid-1970s and into the 80s, he wrote under various pseudonyms, including the house names Kenneth Robeson and Con Staffenson, as well as personal pseudonyms like Chad Calhoun, R.T. Edwards, Ian R. Jameson, Josephine Keynes, Julian Carney, Howard Lee, Zeke Masters, Frank S. Sean, and Joseph Silva. So I'll, I think like one out of every three books was written by it one of them. It seems like it, yeah. <laughs> Some of those sound <laughs> awfully familiar to me, but all right. <laughs> now, uh, Ron would contribute to All in Color for a Dime. This came out from All in House 1970. This was edited by Dick Lowe and Don Thompson. It's a very 
early look at comic book history from the perspective of a fan. Uh, two years later, he received his first comic book credit. He shared writing duties with Albert Block and Roy Thomas on Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. This appeared in Journey into Mystery Number 2, uh, December 1972 cover date, drawn by Gil Kane and inked by Neil Adams. And he's credited there as Frank S. Sean. Yeah, so he flipped it around, used it, you know, he was uh, many, wore many hats, many names. <laughs> in 1972, he, Ron published the best-known science fiction work of his, Cheap Thrills, colon, and Informal History of the Pulp Magazines. That was by Arlington House. Ron scripted the Star Hawks newspaper strip drawn by Gil Kane, and that ran from October 3rd, 1977 to May 2nd, 1981. Throughout the 1970s and 80s, Ron would continue to write for Marvel Comics and contribute to fanzines and trade magazines like Comic Book Collector, Nostalgia Illustrated, and Starlog. He also wrote novelizations for Warren Publishing's Vampirella and for TV shows, including Laverne and Shirley. If anyone has one of those Laverne and Shirley novels, sure would like to see what that Let is us like. Know. Yeah. Uh, and has written several romance novels using some of those feminine pseudonyms that Chris uh, listed before. It's widely known that Goulart wrote the Tech War series of books credited to the actor William Shatner. Shatner is said to have written the outlines for them. And so when the books were turned into a series of comics, it only made sense that he'd write them as well. Incidentally, we've only touched on the great breadth of fiction and nonfiction work that Ron has done. Not counting comic books, it's easily 200 titles. This guy really is an authority on... Comics, uh, sci-fi, pulp history, he's done numerous books, plus his own stuff in the mm-hmm. Barnum world, the Barnum universe. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. So uh, we don't want to make light of it, but, you know, we have other things we have to get to. Uh, Goulart <laughs> is married to author Francis Sheridan Goulart and has two sons. Now we hop across the table, meet Lee Sullivan, who was... Born. Hey. Uh, now, <laughs> Sullivan trained as a wildlife and technical instructor for, at Barnfield College before he worked as a graphic illustrator for British Aero, Aerospace. Uh, as a fan of Doctor Who, he was inspired by the launch of Doctor Who Weekly in 1979 to prepare sample art. As his output was slow at the time, he was put off when illustrator David Lloyd told him what the rates were. So he wouldn't be making all that money. Uh, he, he then worked as a freelance illustrator for advertising. This was until 1983 when he would meet John Higgins. And he was writing a music magazine comic story called The Business. Uh, Sullivan ended up coloring Steve Yowell's art on the story. And later, Higgins would introduce him to the editors over at Marvel UK. He began working there in 1987. He provided covers for the Transformers. That would be until he got his break in 1988, drawing a Doctor Who story written by John Freeman. And this appeared in Doctor Who magazine number 141. Lee's art has been subsequently been published in a number of titles, including Transformers, Thundercats, Death's Head, Robocop, Thunderbirds from 2000 to 2005, of course, 2000 AD, and... Tech World. Uh, Yes, uh, Sullivan is best known for his contributions to the Doctor Who comic strips and merchandising artwork right up to this very present day. Since 2015, he's been the regular artist on Titan Comics' Rivers of London comic. And uh, in in his personal life, he learned to play saxophone in his life, and he toured London with a band for a while, but uh, he would quit that gig in 2015 as well. Oh, yes, I probably did draw the uh, already mentioned Titan Comics' Rivers of London. Probably. And, of course, we'd be remiss not to mention the third part of this uh, tech world party is William Shatner. Born March 22, 1931, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. 
He studied economics at the McGill University Faculty of Management in Montreal, Canada, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce degree. After graduating from McGill University in 1952, Shatner became the business manager for the Mountain Playhouse in Montreal. Then he joined the Canadian National Repertory Theatre in Ottawa, where he trained as a classical Shakespearean actor. Shatner made his Broadway debut in Kit Marlowe's play Tamburlaine the Great in 1956. Earlier than that, he was ca- in 1954, he was cast as Ranger Bob on the Canadian Howdy Doody show, which I didn't even know was an actual thing. Uh, he was yeah. He was the understudy to the regular Ranger Bob, who was Christopher Plummer. Now, Shatner appeared in film and, and television uh, throughout the 1950s, uh, but we're going to just go to the good bits here. Yeah. Uh, he was cast as uh, Captain James T. Kirk for the second pilot of Star Trek, which was titled Where No Man Has Gone Before, and that aired as the third episode of the first season on October 22, 1966. He was contracted to play Kirk for the Star Trek series and held that role from 1966 to 1969. Though the series got low ratings in its first airings, there was a no- this was a notable television milestone. Uh, Shatner and Michelle Nichols had the first televised interracial kiss. This was on November 22nd, 1968. The Star Trek episode was Plato's Stepchildren. Uh, Shatner would return to the role of Captain Kirk in voice only for the Star Trek cartoon that would happen in 1973. Now, following Star Trek, William Shatner found it difficult to find work since he'd been pretty much typecast as Captain Kirk. With very little money and few acting prospects, Shatner lost his home and lived in a truck bed camper in the San Fernando Valley, taking any work to make ends meet. Through the 1970s, Shatner took many roles in low-budget exploitation films meant for drive-ins and second-run theaters, and Shatner was also an occasional celebrity guest on the $10,000 Pyramid and the $20,000 Pyramid, I guess inflation, uh, forced yeah. that number up in the 1970s, once appearing opposite Leonard Nimoy in a week-long matchup billed as Kirk vs. Spock. Shatner also appeared on the Hollywood Squares, Celebrity Bowling, Beat the Clock, Tattletales, Mike Stokely's Stump the Stars, and Match Game. Star Trek engendered a cult following during the 1970s from syndicated reruns, and Captain Kirk became a cultural icon. By the mid-1970s, Shatner began appearing at Star Trek conventions organized by Trekkies. Paramount even planned a second Star Trek series, subtitled Phase 2, but they got cold feet when this film Star Wars came out in 1977. Shatner and the other original Star Trek cast members returned to their roles when Paramount produced Star Trek colon The Motion Picture. This was 1979. He played Kirk in the next six Star Trek films, ending with the character's death in Star Trek Generations 1994. Spoiler alert. Uh, Now, Shatner landed a starring role on television as the titular police officer T.J. Hooker. That show ran from 1982 through 1986. He then hosted the popular dramatic reenactment series Rescue 911, and that ran from 1989 to 1996. During the 80s, Shatner also began directing films and television. Uh, he directed numerous episodes of T.J. Hooker and the feature film Star Trek V, The Front- Final Frontier, 1989. Speaking of which, Shatner began to write notes that would become the Tech War novels on the set of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, during the 1988 Writers Guild strike. He has been quoted as saying that the original book was an attempt to blend elements from Star Trek and T.J. Hooker. In 2011, he said to Entertainment Weekly, 
In the beginning, I planned Tech War as a screenplay for myself to star in. I had this idea of putting T.J. Hooker into a futuristic milieu. He continued, I'd doodle with a paragraph and it would grow into two pages. Then I'd fiddle with the two pages and that would become 20 pages. Eventually, the book sort of evolved by itself. And, you know, we think he did a pretty good job, all things considered. I'm telling you, it's mm-hmm. not, not awful, this stuff here in the world of tech, which we will describe just a little bit right now. Uh, so the 22nd century universe is centered on Tech, T-E-K, that's an illegal, addictive, mind-altering digital drug in the form of a microchip. It can alter reality, which is, you know, kind of what all drugs do, but this becomes a virtual reality. Technically, you know, all narcotics do that as well. Yeah, but this virtual reality is pixelated, all right? That's the difference. That's what it is. True. True point. True point. (laughs) Uh, Now, the protagonist of uh, this story, Jake Cardigan, is a former police officer who is framed for dealing in tech. Having been sentenced to 15 years cryo-imprisonment, he is released 11 years early. But, uh, you know, now we're kind of giving away the comic book, so let's just get into it. This is Tech World, number one. Story again, born again. Uh, The cover depicts a gun-wielding fellow in a trench coat sneering at the reader. Gosh, but this guy really is a dead ringer for William Shatner, but he isn't. And we'll discuss that later, but you would you would think so at first glance. Uh, one hand holds some kind of an automatic weapon, the other is hitching up his pouch-laden belt. And if you look closely, seems like this guy is wearing a bolo tie. Well, it was the early 1990s, so that's that's okay, I guess. Yeah, and we can tell that this is the future because there's a car flying in the background. Right, it, it might even be the year. It might even be the year 2099, and uh, this, this might be Ravage, I don't know. But uh, the, the title is rendered in the perfect future computer style of the time, and it is, of course, William Shatner's Tech World. Uh, two captions explain what to expect in this issue. Cardigan is fighting two wars, and one is against himself. <gasps> and a close examination shows that the word cardigan... Has been trademarked. Does that count for my sweaters? Do I need to pay every time I... Gotta uh, turn them all in. What, what, what did, uh, what's his name, the guy from Nirvana do with all his... <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe the most interesting part is at the publisher's corner box, uh, there's a Marvel Comics logo at the top and an Epic logo at the bottom of it. Yes, and that signifies, uh, we think, that the book is using Marvel's production editorial department, but the deal is under Epic, so more or less Shatner could hang on to this intellectual property. It was the creator's own dealy bop there. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, that's more of an internal thing for them, but but basically I think that this is showing us Epic was on its way out. This is an example of that after Archie Goodwin, it kind of, I think they just fulfilled their Hopped commitments and yeah. shut it down. <laughs> Uh, Now, the opening splash page of the comic shows us some giant space station high above Earth. Now, a spacecraft putters around nearby. Uh, We're not positive that it's even related to the story, though. Just know it's very spacey. That's the important thing. Yes. Caption reads, Jake Cardigan doesn't know he's going to come back to life. Up on the orbiting penal colony known as the Freezer, he sleeps, unaware of anything. Time has passed. Days and weeks, and then months and years, and he keeps sleeping that long sleep. I think these are lyrical lyrics from William Shatner's country music album, aren't they? They sound pretty catchy, I gotta say. Yeah. Sleeping that long sleep. Anyway, uh, <laughs> today everything is going to change, but Jake doesn't know about it. Not yet. Hey, that makes us. Yeah, we don't uh, know we're, gonna, <laughs> we're not 
that. Uh, we're going to cut down to the planet side, uh, the greater Los Angeles spaceport. And uh, we're going to guess that that's like an airport, but for spacecraft? Right, I'm guessing, eh. probably. Sure. Uh, now, you could tell that this is a futuristic place because there's a taxi hovering in the background, uh, though... To be honest, it looks like an Edsel. I never like. There's so many fins on it. It almost feels like it's a throwback to a Cadillac or yep. something. Uh, <laughs> there's also a guy striding purposefully into the spaceport wearing a white suit. He looks to be made entirely of metal, Terminator 2 style. Uh, he's also a jerk. Mm-hmm. A grizzled army veteran with a robot leg panhandles outside the spaceport. And he says, "I'm a Brazil War vet, sir. Please, can you spare?" The bald metal man shoves him aside and says, I'm in a hurry. I've no time for beggars. Now, when he's not in a hurry, that's when he takes the time to beat them up. So, another day, another day. Uh, the mean guy made of shiny metal walks briskly to the prison shuttle terminal, and according to a hallway sign, at least, in the background, looks like there's a robotic bathroom attendant. Just how futuristic we're getting here. Uh, Destro's twin brother winds up at a checkpoint staffed by a woman in a really stupid-looking beret. I'm Winger. So, uh, social parole authority, M6 SCPS slash 31PB. Here's my boarding pass. Nice meeting you. Welcome aboard. We've met before, miss. I often take the shuttle. Right. I should have remembered the suit. Uh, frankly, all you metal skin types look the same, right? Yeah, they see them all the time. Profiling. Uh, now, aboard the craft, it looks more like a uh, commercial airliner. Uh, even from the outside, it looks like a futuristic 747. It's a penal shuttle 4 named Tiberius. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a reference to uh, a middle initial. I be, yes. <clears throat> now, a red-haired woman is nervously reading the visitor's guide while chattering before takeoff. She says... Pardon me, have you been to the prison before? Many times, madame, in the line of duty. My husband was sentenced to ten years. I'm going to visit. Well, just look at him. That's all I can do, since he'll be in suspended animation the whole time. I assure you it's very humane, also economical. We also find it very convenient for storytelling purposes, so that's nice. Win, win, win. Yes. <laughs> uh, the red-haired woman continues to read the guide. It says here that when his sentence is over, he won't have aged at all. Can that be right? Yes, that's what suspended animation means. But I'll be ten years older, and I don't see how. Dear lady, save the rest of your questions for the prison robots. So they went for futurism over actual penitence or rehabilitation. That's all. Just so so sue them. That's all. It's very cool what they're doing is what's important. Uh, (laughs) Eventually, the spaceship docks with the prison orbiting above the Earth. And, yeah, that is the space station we saw on the opening splash page. Yes, our man thinks to himself, I'm on a very tight schedule. I hope these fools don't delay me. Robots stand at individual ergonomic ergonomic workstations processing visitors. And I gotta wonder, why does a robot need an ergonomic works workstation? That's like my second favorite Philip K. Dick story. <laughs> That's a good one, it's true. <laughs> the robot says, greetings, winger, it's good to... I have special parole order for prisoner 19,587, Cardigan Jake. 19,587 still has 11 years to serve. Yeah, uh, he knows that's why this is a special parole order, genius. <laughs> this, this isn't, you know, the regularly scheduled. Exactly, uh, you know, this is a, this is a special <laughs> thing happening. 
<laughs> Winger replies, his time is up today, right now. Winger shoves a box of some kind in front of the robot who scans it or, like, fires heat vision at it or something. <laughs> Initiate the resurrect process. I remember his case, a social state police officer who became addicted to tech. Then he started dealing it and... Start the process. Uh, this robot doesn't get to run its small talk subroutines very often, obviously. It needs little... <laughs> uh, Winger walks down a very futuristic hallway and encounters a white-haired man in a hovering wheelchair. So, uh, a, a hover chair, I guess. Hmm, more or less, yeah. Ah, Dr. Goodhill, so nice to see you again. Spare me the crap, Winger. Just explain why Jake Cardigan's being let go so early. He's been granted an immediate release. Then he's finally been cleared? Let's just say that certain influence was used to get him paroled. Yeah, and I know he was framed four years ago. Was certain influence used then, too? Mm. Winger tosses the, this hover chair and Dr. Goodhill within it aside. Uh, looked like he was like some sort of a panhandling war veteran yeah, or something. poor guy. He goes, ah! <laughs> It would be such a pleasure to continue our discussion later, Dr. Goodhill, but I'm in such a hurry. Winger takes an elevator into the room where Jake Cardigan and the other prisoners in suspended animation are kept. Looks sort of like the battery chamber from the Matrix movies. Mm. Jake Cardigan's body capsule is retrieved from the surrounding wall and is taken down the hall by a squat robot. Uh, the capsule looks like something like a giant highlight marker with a window panel that shows the prisoner's neck and shoulders. It really makes you wonder what the red-haired visitor or any visitor plans to actually visit while at the prison. Like, you can't even see their face. You just see their neck. Uh, she might have a fetish. I don't just know. Just send him a picture. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe that's what she wants to see. It's true. <laughs> uh, Jake Cardigan's body is being taken down the hallway on the res direction level. Revive this prisoner as rapidly as possible. Moments later, it's Jay Cardigan, the guy from the front cover that looks a little like William Shatner, <laughs> or more like Shatner's hardened younger cousin, we'll say. A little bit different. Yeah, and he's uh, he's naked, uh, strapped vertically to a green bed that uh, presumably revived him. And uh, in case you're wondering, the strap is conveniently placed over Cardigan's naughty bed. That's right. It's not a, not a dirty comic. <laughs> Cardigan says, I... Feel sort of groggy. We have a shuttle to catch. Try and snap out of it, Cardigan. Winger. So it's been 15 years later, huh? No, actually it's been just four. Just four? Then they realized I was innocent. You've been granted a special parole. Somebody intervened? Who? I have no data on that. Uh, Jack Cardigan gets his clothing back, and uh, now he's wearing a much smarter and stylish black jacket with a high collar. And a yellow plaid shirt with bolo tie. It was those early 90s. That's right. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what era. Uh, now he's uh, cocking his gun right there in the prison, and uh, is that regulation? I don't think you can do that. I don't believe that. I, I that's think something they, you they can probably get, get dogpiled, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, he says. They're giving me back my laser gun, too? Your parole allows you to carry weapons. Jack Cardigan stumbles a little as he and Winger walk down a hallway. Still pretty unsteady, eh, Cardigan? Don't worry. I'm okay. Winger shoves Cardigan forward roughly, but not as roughly as usual. Uh, then get moving, will you? We're late. If you can't walk, perhaps Dr. Goodhill will loan you his wheelchair. Uh, I think... 
he'd probably need that, right? You can't just loan mm. out your wheelchair. Also, we already agreed to call it a hover chair winger, please. Could, could you please. please catch up? Yes, program here. Uh, that cardigan draws his uh, ladies' gun on winger. Damn you, winger. Come on, Cardigan, use that gun on me. That'll guarantee you 50 more years here. And no more alimony payments from Winger, too, so hey. (laughs) (laughs) With your record as a tech dealer and a crooked cop, you shouldn't be getting out at all. Look, I admitted I used tech, but I never sold it, never betrayed anybody. Winger then holsters his Lay's gun, which is to say that he folds it in half and slips it into the his inside chest pocket. On second thought, Winger, you're not worth the trouble. You're just a chrome-plated collection of nuts and bolts. Yeah, because, you know, if he was silver-plated, then there might be a little bit of value there. If he was titanium, I'd melt them down myself. Oh, forget about it. Mm. Now, later, uh, at the, great Los, the greater Los Angeles spaceport... I'm obliged to give you this. It's a brief review of the major changes in the world that took place while you were asleep. Yeah, the bad news is that your Beanie Baby collection is worthless, I'm sorry. Except for the personal value. (laughs) Guess I do have some catching up to do. Outside, it is pouring rain. Winger gives Jack Cardigan a pole that generates an invisible umbrella, because it's the future, see? Hey! Hmm, rain. Here's something else you'll need. A force field umbrella. I don't see my wife and son anywhere. Aren't they meeting me here? Obviously not. You'll have to get home on your own. Good night, Cardigan. I'll most certainly stay in touch. This is this is how it happens in prison. You just get dumped out into a rainy street. A so long. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, Winger walks off into the rainy night. And didn't he say they were late for something before? I mean. What was his big hurry? He doesn't seem to have anywhere to go right now. Yeah, he's just dropping them off. Was the, was the drop-off, like, time? Just, uh, just, just in time for the rain. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Jack Cardigan, Jake Cardigan, make that, uh, calls a future taxi, and it has gullwing doors. This isn't the sort of homecoming I was expecting. Hey, taxi! I mean, this is just the worst kind of homecoming. But, uh, yeah, pretty much. Now, the, <laughs> the taxi hovers high above the ground and uh, to the rooftop of Jake, Jake Cardigan's building. Things look different. GLA's changed. Driver goes, been away for a while, eh? For a while, yeah. And it looks like he's got a nice apartment from the looks of it. Kate, Dan, it's me, I'm home. Dan, where are they? Jake checks the whole place, which uh, looks undisturbed. Then, when he picks up a family photo... Yes, a computerized voice says, Welcome home. This is your reliable household computer. I have a recorded message from your former wife. Former wife? What the hell do you mean? I think that means she left you. Probably. Uh, Now, one (laughs) one wall here turns into a giant video screen. Yeah, Jack Cardigan's blonde wife sits on a wicker chair and talks directly to the camera. Hello, Jake. When I heard you were getting out, I taped this. I I wanted to let you know I divorced you two years ago. There was just no way to tell you up there. I mean, she could have taken the same prison transport as any other visitor, but then she'd have to drive downtown, Mm. and traffic is just so crazy on Saturdays, so... Divorced. Divorced me, but... The apartment is legally yours. Danny and I are living in Mexico now. Danny? You never called him that. 
My old boss, Bennett Sands, got me a great job here. Danny and I are fine, but we don't want to see you. Not yet, anyway. I'm sorry, Jake. Good luck. Later that night, Jake Cardigan is talking to one of his informants, a sleazy-looking guy named Newsboy. He's got like a cyborg visor over one eye because it's, it's the a, future. It is the future. Sorry, Jake. So far, I can't make out a thing about where your missus is. Uh, have you checked Mexico? Because uh, we heard... The breadcrumbs uh, are there, right? That's where we heard that she is, yeah. But you used to be one of my best informants, Newsboy. Cyborg Slim has contacts with the Vidphone company. Maybe he... Ah, uh, Slim's dead. You were away a long time, eh? Okay. You keep trying. You can count on me. And hey, good you're back, Jake. Jake pushes the bed in his bedroom aside and pulls up some floorboards and thinks to himself, I wonder, is it still where I stashed it? Jake Cardigan pulls out some kind of visor, which looks like a Walkman, uh, and also some mini-discs. He thinks to himself, all here. Brain box, headgear, tech chips. Holding the visor, Jake has a crisis of conscience. No, I won't get started again. And then from the next room, Jake hears a familiar voice. Jake, where are you? Jake tears out of the room to meet his ex-wife. He says, here, here, I'm here, Kate. The two of them embrace passionately in the living room. I realized that the divorce was a terrible mistake. It was, yeah. I belong with you. You do. I just couldn't stay away, darling. Then from behind him, Jake's son runs over. Neither can I, Dad. Dan? But aren't you 15 by now? Of course. Don't, don't, don't I look it? Dan grows right before Jake's eyes while he, he has his hands on his son's shoulders even. <laughs> just grows right there. Oh, yeah. Now you do. You don't seem glad we came back. Sure I am. Uh, it's just that... Kate and Dan regard Jake warily. Now we get a full body look at Dan, and he's wearing, like... A white half shirt, like a tube top almost, with a yep. yellow vest over it, these giant sneakers. It's like, what? what is happening here? <laughs> the future is ugly. Uh, <laughs> Kate goes, what's wrong, Jake? What's wrong, Dad? A silhouetted figure shatters this awkward scene of familial bliss. It's time to leave Dreamland, amigo. Jake Cardigan is wearing the visor. That previous scene was a tech-induced hallucination. Which you probably figured out like one millisecond into it. Pretty much, yeah. It was pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cardigan says, Gomez, what are you doing here? Right now, Jake, I'm feeling like a jerk for getting you defrosted. Since we used to be cops together, your apartment let me in. Gomez walks into the well-lit apartment, and we get a good look at him. He uh, basically looks like a Latino Jake Cardigan <laughs> with a mustache, really. That's really all he is. True. It's true. Forgive me for intruding on your homecoming celebration. Sid, Kate's gone. I was upset, but I'm not hooked on tech again. Yeah, a lot of tech heads say that. Listen, I'm not a tech head and not a damn dealer either. Jake throws the tech visor against the wall, shattering it. I don't need this stuff. Take it easy, Miko. I still have faith in you. Then you must be the only cop in Southern Cal who does. And 
How does he know this? He just got out of jail. Like maybe just Jake's, got out. Jake's parole could have been the collective effort of several officers. You know, you have no idea. Yeah, they could have opened a Kickstarter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe it was a GoFundMe type of thing. Sure. <laughs> I'm no longer a cop. I'm a private eye now, and I need a partner again. Uh, purely for tax shelter purposes, of course. Uh, you know, for we'll sure. Work that out. Uh, how come you're not with the social state police? Oh, I kept trying to prove you were framed. That annoyed a lot of people. But I'm happier in my new job. Richer, too. Jake Cardigan heads to the kitchen and get a couple of beverages for himself and Sid Gomez, and they are Coolite Zero Hall. So I think maybe this is supposed to be like future beer or something. It looks yeah. horrible. And you can see through a can here. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. futuristic. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with the Cosmos Detective Agency. My boss, Walt Boscom, and he's honest and upright, more or less. So it was you in the Cosmos outfit that got me paroled? Turns out justice takes money and influence. I persuaded Boscom to use plenty of both. He got you out of the freezer so I could hire you. What sort of job did you convince him he needs me for? And it turns out that Jake's the only one knows how to program the VCR, which would have been keep important keep in blinking, 1992, you know. Keep blinking 12, that's okay. <laughs> I, know, I could never do it, so. <laughs> there is an important case in the works. We team up on it. We have to find somebody down in Mexico. I'll give you some details. By the way, you wouldn't mind encountering a former lady friend, would you? Depends on which one, Sid. Maybe the one in Mexico? <laughs> Lord. Now, uh, Gomez loads a disc into the wall, and the screen pops to life with an image of a woman. She's got one robotic arm and a futuristic headband with a microphone. She appears to be hanging out with some mercenaries, and she's raising her arms triumphantly. Whoa, now. That's Warbride. See, it is. Lady's become a pretty powerful rebel leader. She controls a large chunk of Mexico. This case involves her? Maybe. And I convinced Boscom that you're absolutely the best hombre for the job. So, you don't seem to have a crime or a suspect, but uh, this does sound like a perfect case with Jay Cardigan. Very good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. is down to, down to a science here. <laughs> Mostly because of your old friendship with the lady. We were never friends. We just slept together years ago. If you don't do this for Bascom, you'll be sorry he pulled the strings to get you out. You might end up back in the freezer. I'll take the job. It'll be fun working together again. And threats weren't necessary, Sid. But they are appreciated. Always. Threats were my boss's idea. Sid Gomez loads another disc into the wall, and there's an image of a guy who looks kind of like Doctor Strange in some oversized sunglasses, <laughs> eyeglasses. Yes. Okay, this is Dr. Leon Kittredge, well-known electronics expert, worked in the industry, taught all colleges, whereabouts. The scene switches to a brown-haired woman in a one-piece purple bathing suit walking along the shore. Here's his daughter, Beth, also an electronics whiz. In fact, you know, just assume everyone you meet in electronics whiz until you learn otherwise in this future. True how it is, yeah. <laughs> Pretty, though I might on the slim side. More your type, Migo. Sid likes big butts, and he cannot lie. Check that out. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> next up is a simulation. Last week, the doc and his skinny daughter took off for a jaunt to Mexico. While they were over the Great Forest, which used to be part of the worldwide project to control the greenhouse effect, their sky cruiser apparently crashed. 
As for that worldwide project to control the greenhouse effect, uh, it uh, didn't go really as planned. But that's a, that's a whole other thing. Uh, Sid Gomez gets up to leave, and Jake walks him up to roof, rooftop parking. Their insurance company wants Cosmos to find out whether the Kittredges are dead or alive. So far, it's been impossible to get anyone safely into Warbride's neck of the woods. Which is where we come in, huh? See, with your contacts and my charm, we can do it. Sounds like we're a winning team again. Maybe I'll even have time in Mexico to find out where Kate is. You know, in between evading machine gun-wielding mercenaries and hunting for seriously injured computer whizzes. Just squeeze it I in. think, yeah, why not? I think it'd be wiser to hey, stay clear of that. What are you getting at, Sid? Nothing, just idle chatter. Sorry. Sid Gomez hops in his red hover car and pulls away, up, up and away, even. <laughs> I pick you up at 10 a.m. manana, Jake. We have an important informant to talk to before heading south. The next morning, Jake Cardigan is in the passenger seat of Sid Gomez's car. On their way to meet this informant, we assume. So who are we meeting, Sid? One Dr. Hilda Dannenberg. She used to be a colleague of the missing Dr. Kittredge and a very close chum, so I hear. We're meeting her at home? Nope, at the boardwalk in the Malibu sector. She's concerned about her safety, prefers to meet in secret. Yeah, a uh, place called the Boardwalk sounds really remote and hidden. That sounds right. Off the beaten path. Right. On a dashboard screen, the image of a blonde lady pops up. There's also a telephone receiver next to it, so this flying car is loaded with options. Yeah, this is not the stock model. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, (laughs) There's a vid of the lady. Claims to have important info about the doc and his daughter. Occurs to me a beachfront mall isn't a very private place to meet. And uh, that occurred to us too, sir. So very good. Yeah, no, no duck. You're you're thinking the place like it used to be, Jake. These days, he's never crowded. Gomez lands on the beach, which has been walled off from the ocean by a long glass partition. And the the place does look a little rundown. Uh, still, there are people throwing a beach ball around and having typical beach time fun. We're early. Let's walk around, Sid. The boardwalk really has slipped in four years. It was a techie hangout a couple years ago. A lot of damage got done before they moved on. Is the tech problem worse in GLA now? Use is up 20%. Bad side effects are increasing. And with relatively new drug, especially an electronic one, you still get some scary surprises. Is the protector going to do a walk-on here? I mean, well, he has like statistics so. to, to hand. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Long-time users are having seizures, flashbacks, and serious fits. You really ought to give up the stuff, Migo. I told you, I quit. Yeah, he's he's only using tech to get over some bad news or celebrate some good news. That's, that's, that's not a sign Just of an addict. Two right? things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but damn it, Sid! Don't go preaching to me. If I want a sermon. I'll go find Winger. That that guy's a preacher uh, of what? Uh, the 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 church the the church of holy jerkbags? Yeah, I mean, the, the what, what is this? Jerkheads? Come on! <laughs> that guy's awful. Uh, now Jake Cardigan and Sid Gomez come upon Doctor Hilda Dannenberg, who at the moment is being harassed by a panhandler. They're outside of Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. Mm, I hear their uh, their cliche uh, Brooklyn <laughs> style is really good. <laughs> Say, there's the good doctor, and there goes the privacy I thought we'd have. I better go shoo the walker away. Hey, fella, don't annoy the lady. 
Leave her alone, hombre. The panhandler reaches to touch Dr. Dannenberg's face just as Sid Gomez reaches for a gun in his armpit, or a laser gun, probably. probably. Jake Cardigan is also running over now. When the beggar touches the doctor, there's a massive explosion that goes boom, and the two of them are both torn to pieces. Sid Gomez is also thrown quite a distance from the looks of things. And the closing caption reads, Next, Across the Border. Mm-hmm. So that was it for the first issue of Tech World, mm-hmm. of the it's Tech true. War series. I will say there's one problem, is that they didn't name this the same thing as the series that they were taking yes. it from. Uh, but I have a feeling that the war was was an issue that they wanted to expand thing. Yeah. the uh, theme of it. But... Uh, not this seems to be like a solid, a little maybe a little bit derivative, uh, sure in themes, but a solid sci-fi story. Not bad. Uh, not, not bad. Not bad. I'm. Uh, I was slightly curious to know what goes on. I wouldn't say hysterically curious, but interested enough. And uh, you know, <laughs> you might read the Wikipedia. <laughs> it, 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 I'll tell you, it doesn't tell you a lot about about the story uh, within. It's wow. a, I mean, I mean, I assume it's a lot more hover cars and uh, robot attendants, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, it was it was cool. I, I really didn't uh, I really enjoyed it for what it was on the face of it. It felt like a solid Absolutely. comic. It felt like if I had purchased this off the rack, I wouldn't have felt ripped off. And what what other feeling do you want from a comic book, right? So that's the key, especially these days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, but of uh, course, we have more to say about this. Uh, it's true. Property. It's true. Moving forward here, uh, Tech World lasted for 24 issues. The final one had a cover date of August 1994, which is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a long one, and, and for an epic imprinted book too. It's Absolutely, yeah. just so weird to picture any of that going on in the 90s. Um, now, this was one of the many titles that would be excised as uh, Marvel headed towards bankruptcy. Uh, now, Walter Bascom, played by William Shatner in the series, he would show up in issue number two. And that guy really looks like Shatner, not just sort of looks not like Shatner. Not sort of looks like it. We'll, we'll hear more about it. Lee Sullivan says he was not the original artist for the series. Uh, in a 2008 interview with SciFiPulse.com, he said, I drew Robocop for Marvel US for a couple of years. When the license ended, Evan Skolnick, whom I'd worked with on Robo, suggested me to Fabian Niciezu, who was editor of Tech World. It was still being set up, and for some reason the artist originally slated to work on it suddenly wasn't. I made strenuous efforts to get that gig, and he drew two full covers showing the lead character that was obviously based on Shatner. Modified, they became the covers one and two, and he got the job. So that's why they look so much like Shatner as they were on the history, and they got tweaked (laughs) later on. It's funny because uh, Skolnick and Niciesa, they were part of the uh, they, they like they swapped off on New Warriors around this time too. I think Skolnick took over for Fabian. Oh, okay. so, so uh, Fabian had room to go to Tech World, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Now he also talked about the time that he met William Shatner, and he says, "As a big Trek and Kirk fan, it was thrilling to know that Shatner was vetting the stuff I was producing. Later on, when a TV movie was in production, I got the call. I got a call from him. I was out." Down the shops, I got an answer phone message saying he'd ring back. I waited by the phone for a week or so. I needed provisions. I went to the shops. He rang. He left another message. I was climbing the walls by then and rang him. He was very friendly and invited the team to visit the set in Toronto, which, of course, we did. 
Uh, at his request, we shifted the look of the comic to match the look of the television series, closer to the present day, and we also modified the characters to look more like the actors. Yeah, you have to imagine that all in uh, a British accent, too, of course. <laughs> yes, but, yes. Down, yeah, down the shops, he rang me back. Anyway, uh, <laughs> speaking of the TV show, there was one, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> it had two seasons, in fact, of 22 episodes in total. The first season consisted of four two-hour-long episodes. Uh, so, in the world of Tech World, that's 200 years into the future in the novels, but in the television show and subsequently the comic book, it is only 50 years. This was actually done for budget reasons when Shatner approached networks and studios to pitch the idea of a tech war project, a show or movie, he was told it would be too expensive to produce. Uh, following the first Tech War comic book, Shatner was approached by studios interested in a film. Shatner's own production company, Lemley, Lemley Productions, uh, took a deal with Atlantis Films, and Stephen Roloff was hired to develop the series for television. After he did so, Universal approached Atlantic, Atlantis with an offer. Uh, Universal and Atlantis greenlit a uh, production for four two-hour TV movies for the show's first season, and if they proved successful, an hour-long series would be commissioned to air in both Canada and the United States. This first season would receive mixed reviews, but they were apparently good enough to justify a full season of episodes to follow. And of course, this the, the comics was based on a series of, un, of reasonably popular novels, all credited to William Shatner, though understood to have been written by Ron Goulart, as already stated. And those novels are Tech War in 1989, Tech Lords in 1991, and the same year Tech Lab. I would jump ahead two years and get Tech Vengeance in 1993, also 1993 Tech Secret, and in 1994 Tech Power. The next year, 95, he did Tech Money, the next year, 96, Tech Kill, and then Tech Net in 1997. And of course, this was the 90s, so... They were trading cards. No, there had and, uh, to be. There was no way around. <laughs> yes, it's law. Um, now, uh, it was an intellectual property developed in the early 1990s, so, you know, of course it has those cards. Uh, produced by Cards, with a Z. Yeah. Better known for making a set of NFL-themed Flintstones cards. Uh, <laughs> now, these came in packages of eight cards. The set itself would include uh, 100 cards in total, and all artwork from the comic book is by Lee Sullivan, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were also randomly packaged holographic or technochrome cards <laughs> and, an even, <laughs> and an even smaller number of randomly inserted cards containing signatures by William Shatner and Lee Sullivan. And uh, you could get an entire unopened box of these cards online for about 10 bucks. I tell you, I thought about it. I really did. And I was like, <laughs> ah, what am I going to do with these? <laughs> You get that signature. You get the autographed card. The, the, you know, I'll tell you, you know, you buy five boxes, you get a good chance you of finding You might get one. <laughs> a desktop only first-person shooter video game, William Shatner's Tech War, was produced by Capstone Software in 1995. It had cutscenes featuring William Shatner and his television character, Walter Bascom. Uh, these cutscenes varied depending on player decisions, and non-player characters reacted to whether the player had their gun drawn. That was a big deal in 1995. Uh, this was like to have that kind of interaction. Uh, unfortunately, other technical limitations at the time made the game really impractical and unpleasant to play and uh, didn't do very well. Now, uh, jumping ahead, a new Tech War comic book adaptation, was, which was entitled Tech War Chronicles by Shatner and comic book writer Scott Davis, along with art by Eric Owens. Uh, this was released by Blue Water Pub, uh, Productions on June 24th, 2009. 
So that's uh, very close to the present, uh, scarily close. Um, And as of uh, 2010, Tech War Chronicles was made available digitally, exclusively through Devil's Due Digital. Uh, There's been nothing new since around 2012. Uh, In fact, the website itself seems defunct. So there you go. But hey, it it wasn't that long ago it was resurrected, so maybe it's due for another look. What Mm -hmm. are you saying, Chris? (laughs) Now, William Shatner, of course, we're talking about one of the most prolific Artists, entertainers, uh, whatever you want to call them, journeymen of our time. Sure. Uh, you know, this acting, a prolific author. But not a lot of people are aware of his uh, music career. Shatner's musical career, and it is a career, by the way. It's not just that one album that everyone makes fun of. Uh, yes. Shatner's musical career began in 1968 with the release of his first album, The Transformed Man, on Decca Records. In that, he compared contemporary pop songs of the period to the works of William Shakespeare by providing dramatic readings of Shakespeare interspersed with dramatic readings of the lyrics of uh, songs such as Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by the Beatles and Mr. Tambourine Man by, uh, was that, The Birds? I forget. Maybe. Uh, Shatner explained his album as an acting performance from the perspective of an LSD user. So that's something we all needed to find out about. <laughs> it's true. Now, the much-parodied album would later be panned on the Internet with the uh, Captain James T. Kirk sing-along page serving clips as early as 1993. Wow. So... Not long after the first issue of Tech Might have been. Uh, now George Clooney chose as uh, one of one of the desert island discs he would bring uh, along if Maroons. He he said, uh, if you listen to this song, you will hollow out your own leg and make a canoe out of it to get off the island. Well, there you go. Motivational. That's uh, nice. In an interview in the September twenty first, two thousand four issue of Newsweek, Shatner was asked, "Doesn't it bother you that your version of Mister Tambourine Man is a camp classic?" And he replied. Yes, in the beginning it bothered me that people singled it out and poked fun at it. They didn't know what I was doing. The album The Transformed Man is much more extensive than that song. But since people only heard that song, I went along with the joke. In 1977, a live double album entitled William Shatner Live was released. Uh, Recorded on a live tour shortly before, it features Shatner performing excerpts from H.G. Wells' novel The War of the Worlds and the 19th century play Cyrano de Bergerac, among other things. In 1978, Shatner hosted the fifth Saturn Awards, that's for science fiction, where he performed Elton John's Rocket Man, again in that spoken voice style. This performance has been parodied by the TV show Family Guy and musician Beck. Another live double album came out by Shatner, Captain of the Starship, and that was also released in 1978. Uh, Shatner has occasionally spoofed his earlier musical career. Uh, For instance, at the 1992 MTV Movie Awards, he performed all five of the best songs from a movie nominees. Uh, More recently, he performed in the same style for a series of Priceline.com television commercials. Shatner appeared on frequent collaborator Ben Folds' In Love and Still in Love on the album Fear of Pop, colon, Volume 1. That came out on 550 Records in 1998. And in the 1998 film Free Enterprise, Shatner performed No Tears for Caesar in the movie's closing scene with the rap artist The Rated R. Uh, Shatner performed Mark Anthony's speech from Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, over Rated R's rap. So that must have been interesting. Sure. Uh, on June 28, 2002, Shatner performed together with Brian Evans at the San Carlos Institute Theater in Key West, Florida. He performed the songs What a Fool I, What a Fool Am I and The Lady is a Tramp. 
Uh, the concert was later released on the album Brian Evans Live with special guest Colin William Shatner. In October 2004, Shatner released an album entitled Has Been, produced and arranged by Ben Folds and with songs composed by Shatner and Folds. That came out on Shout Factory Records. Now that's his second studio album and it met with decent critical success. Its sole cover, a version of Pulp's Common People, was performed with Joe Jackson. That's of the uh, Is He Really Going Out With Her fame guy. How about that? Um, on June 9th, 2005, Shatner performed a reworked version of Frank Sinatra's My Way. This was at a presentation of George Lucas's AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. He was backed by a chorus line of dancers in Imperial Stormtrooper costumes who picked up Shatner and carried him off stage. Can we consider that a crossover? Probably. There you go. And the the war was ended. Uh, On March 29th, 2006, TV Land aired an episode of their Living in TV Land series centered on Shatner and subtitled William Shatner in Concert. The episode features footage of Shatner working with Ben Folds on Has Been, plus live footage of Shatner performing with Folds Band and Joe Jackson, ending with def- with a defiant rendition of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds from the Transformed Man that is punctuated by Shatner giving the finger. Uh-oh. Um, Exodus, colon, an oratorio in three parts, came out from the Jewish Music Group in 2008. This was produced by David Itkin with executive producers Richard Foos and David McLeese. This is a dramatic biblical reading in which Shatner is accompanied by the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra and was directed by David Itkin. A lot of this music sounds very challenging, don't you think, Chris? Like, it really sounds... Heady, yeah. Very heady, very like, you know, a, a abandon all hope, you know. Yeah, he's, he's not like just cashing in. It's no, like, I, it's, it's I like dare earnest. you to listen to this music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Shatner's released the album Seeking Major Tom on October 2011 on Cleopatra Records. This is a heavy metal space odyssey featuring work by Zach Wilde of Black Label Society, Peter Frampton, Brian May of Queen, Steve Howe from Yes, John Wetton from Kim Cri- King Crimson and Asia. Uh, those are two different bands. Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple. Alan Parsons, Bootsy Collins of Parliament Funkadelic. Country star Brad Paisley and others. The album features cover. That's a really a huge list. The wow, album yeah. features covers of songs such as Pink Floyd's "Learning to Fly," David Bowie's "Space Oddity," which is where we get, of course, the Major Tom reference, and Queen's "Bohemian Rhapsody." Now, Shatner released the album Ponder the Mystery in October 2013. This is also from Cleopatra Records. Uh, produced by Billy Sherwood, uh, the 15 tracks on the album included the talents of Mick James, Simon House, Steve Vai, Alda Miola. Uh, is that how you said that? Alda Miola? I think you did great there, actually, yeah. There we go. <laughs> I always second guess. Uh, Rick Wakeman, Joel... Oh, boy. <laughs> Van... <laughs> I want to get to this one. <laughs> Joel Van Droog... Van Droogenbroek. All right. Uh, Ed, yeah, Edgar, Win- Edgar Winter, Nick Turner, Vince Gill, Edgar Freeze, uh, Robbie Krieger, Dave Co- Dave Coase, uh, George Duke, and Zoot Horn Rollo. Uh, now, all lyrics for the album are credited to Shatner, while the music is credited to Sherwood. I- I've been waiting all episode for you to get to that. Uh, Joel Van, Van, Van Drugenbroek. Uh, Shatner performs lead vocals on progressive rock artist Ben Craven's track Spy in the Sky Part 3 from his album Last Chance to Hear, released in March 2016. William Shatner and country music star Jim Cook released Why Not Me on, in 2018 on Heartland Records. This is a collection of country music covers partly sung by Shatner. Shatner. 
And also in 2018, he released Shatner Claws hey. from Cleopatra Records. And, uh, with Was that about Pop? cashing in? You said it right <laughs> Maybe. Uh, now, this one with uh, Iggy Pop, Brad Paisley, and Judy Collins. And this is... Uh, Basically, his take on some classic Christmas songs. Uh, you know, I guess he earned it after that long. Sure, after all that, that resume. You know, I'll tell you, I knew he had done, because we've seen spoofs of that, Mr. Tambourine Man, that spoof sure. style. Uh, I had no idea there was this much musical output. And there, there's other stuff, too, that, that could have gone in there that just mm-hmm. was just too much, like little little side things he's done. But uh, I think oh. you hit the nail on the head, though. Like, this is, this is not him cashing in on... Yeah. Just the spoof, you know what I mean? On the camper, yeah. He, I mean, he, he clearly is aware of that, but he wants to do, you know, I think it's something he wants to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was interesting. But I want to leave you with one last story about William Shatner. Uh, this is something I remember from my own childhood. Uh, on January 20th, 1986, William Shatner hosted NBC's Saturday Night Live. He was, at the time, promoting the film Star Trek for The Voyage Home. Uh, in an episode, uh, this had a sketch called Get a Life, written by Robert Smigel and John Vitti. In the sketch, William Shatner plays himself speaking before a crowd of fans at a Star Trek convention. He refers to them as Trekkers erroneously and fields a couple of pedantic questions before lashing out and yelling, having received all your letters over the years and spoken to many of you, and some of you have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles to be here, I'd just like to say... Get a life, will you people? I mean, for crying out loud, it's just a TV show. Uh, <laughs> folks are taken aback in the sketch, and the sketch ends with Shatner claiming that he was performing as the evil Captain Kirk from a particular episode, which he also misnumbers, by the way, purposely <laughs> there. Now, any outburst against the hands that fed him uh, didn't make uh, too many waves, for one thing. Uh, there was another sketch in the same episode where Shatner happily or operated a Star Trek-themed restaurant. Yeah. Uh, for another thing, uh, nerd culture had not taken over the world at this point, and there weren't any websites from which to run online petitions to change television and movies and boot Shatner into uh, whatever <laughs> whatever hole that the, we right. would have to have him put in, of course. Uh, now, it turns out that the character Shatner played in the sketch was a little more like real life than he had let on. As early as April 1968, a group of fans attempted to rip his clothes off as the actor left 30 Rockefeller Plaza, and uh, he stopped attending conventions for more than a decade following the 70s and 80s. This SNL sketch led him to re-embracing the Trekkie fan base that had supported him. Yeah, he eventually wrote a book called Get a Life, co-written by Chris Kresge, that came out on Atria Books, 1999, where he explains how this sketch led to some reevaluation. He wrote, were they sane? Were they sober? Did they really need to get a life? To be brutally, humiliatingly honest, that now infamous Saturday Night Live sketch was, for me, at that time, equal parts comedy and catharsis. I was oblivious to the facts. I bought into the Trekkie stereotypes. In a nutshell, I was a dope. Uh, this also led to a documentary of the same title that aired in 2012 on the Epics channel, wherein he examines Trekkie fandom and culture. And incidentally, in that book, uh, Get a Life, he thanks the two people who wrote the Saturday Night Live sketch that inspired the title, Judd Apatow and Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> so uh, it's the thought that counts, and uh, sure. you know, William Shatner is still William Shatner, but I think it's it's interesting he had this kind of turnaround when he realized, like, you know, they, they may be unique people, just like comic book fans, but uh, they are people nonetheless. So, what do you say? Your fan, 
What, what, what do you like better now? Star Trek, TJ Hooker, or uh, Tech World? <laughs> Probably TJ Hooker. I, you know, I, I, I kind of like them all on their own merits. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe TJ Hooker is the one. I'd love to know if there was a TJ Hooker comic. Or, you know, that would be something to find out. Yeah, I don't think we've seen enough uh, Heather Locklear in comics yet. So. <laughs> we definitely could use a lot more, I, I promise. A Melrose <laughs> Place comic, if you, if you got one of those. Uh, if you do, or if you want to talk to us about William Shatner, Tech World, Tech War, Tech Anything about his music career, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Cosmic T-Mail. And we are on Twitter at Cosmic T-Mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out our recent writing recordings on all things DC Comics over at weirdsciencedccomics.com. And you can check out Chris's daily writings currently about Action Comics Weekly into, what, the 40th week or something like that? Uh, <laughs> We're over, getting there. <laughs> over on Chris's on InfiniteEarths.com. He has a new post every single day of the week. On Thursdays, you can vote on your favorite Action Comics Weekly story. And if you go in the archives, you will find DC Comics reviews of individual comics that'll blow your ever-loving mind. Go check that out, ChrisInfiniteEarths.com. And you can also check out the show site, chrisandreggie.com, where you'll be able to find our archives in the order they're meant to be listened to, as well as our show notes, images, links, all that good stuff. Anything you want to know about the show, you'll find it there, hopefully, if I have it up, if we have it updated. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we jam, we want to thank Mark Yeager again for the suggestion. Uh, it opened up a heck of a lot of conversation and discussion I wasn't expecting that, that we would uh, find through this, and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and we did say the name both ways, so we covered our bases this episode, mm-hmm. so that's good. Uh, but I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, I'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill and stay off that tech. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tambourine Man! Mr. Tambourine Man. Hey. Mr. Tambourine Man.